And we are back with another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. You know, Bo, we're, we're back. You're back after a brief trip to meet me up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. We're back with yes. another episode. Yes, I was there for three months in case anyone was wondering we didn't have time to record. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, just been, he's just been hiding here uh, the spare room since February. Yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know that that's what had happened. But now we're back, and uh, I'm back in the, the beautiful Midwest, uh, just in time for, well, I don't know, but I'm back. You're back just in time for the unbearable humidity. That's um, right. Sweating as soon as you step outside your door. Yeah, and, uh, it's coming up here. Usually by Memorial Day, it's like 100% humidity. So looking forward to that, but hey, we had a great time. You know, yeah. we, uh, as we were talking about, we got to see baseball or yeah. what, what, what some people what might deem you. baseball. We got to see, we got to see, um, famed Mariners pitcher, Paul Seawald. <laughs> for, for anybody okay, who's well, not, yeah. for, for anybody that's not familiar, there was a viral clip last year, um, made the rounds well outside of the baseball world, well outside of the sports world of a pitcher for the New York Mets having a pretty banging song as he came on to the, to the field. Yeah. Not to be outdone, the, uh, the Mariners have decided to, to try to mimic the energy of that entrance for their um, kind of average replacement level closer named uh-huh. Paul Seawald. Oh, yeah. There was... The, the the electricity in the stadium, folks. The, the, be there. the lights go out. Sirens come on. They describe him as part of Los Bomberos, only to announce the, the pitcher as Paul Seawald. I was a little taken back by the Spanish <laughs> and to see this white man running out. But... Uh, yeah, that was interesting for sure. Yeah, it was, it was a, probably the highlight of the game. We were surrounded by a lot of St. Louis Cardinals fans, so that's probably oh, yeah. probably the closest either of us will ever get to a Trump rally. <laughs> you haven't been to Bush Stadium? Um, yeah, hey, the, the the people watching was amazing though. We, yeah, we had some we had some primo seats, man. Yeah, yeah, I was I was a big fan of. Of the the lovely woman behind you who was wearing a shirt of uh, <laughs> of Cardinals legends Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright holding hands as they walked into into oblivion together. They were they were holding each other. Yeah. As they were walking through, you know, what could be perceived as, you know, the corn in the field of dreams. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they were gonna have a catch. Adam Wainwright was was Terrence Mann, or no, he was Ray Liotta. He couldn't step over the line. He's still here somehow. They couldn't take. They he, they wouldn't even accept him back in the corn. He's just still <laughs> playing for the Cardinals. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh man, we but also hey, you, yeah, we also went to a uh, you know my first uh, NWSL and pro soccer game. Yeah, uh, what did, what did you th- what did you think? Anything you'd tell our listeners about uh, about women's soccer in the United States? Well, first off, you know, again, I don't know how it's done in other American cities, but um, just an awesome, awesome vibe there at uh, the stadium. Um, 
you know, just a different type of energy and just, I don't know, it just all around seemed like just really, it was a very diverse crowd. And I mean that in every different way. And I think that that just brought that level of fun there. I mean, it's, it's really not what I expected at all. And, uh, honestly, if you can get out there and support, I would highly recommend it just because of how fun it was, you know, um, and we saw a high scoring game too. You know, yeah, it was a final score yeah. five two. Yeah, yeah. It was a surprisingly high scoring game. Highest one I've been to uh for yeah. the rain. But uh yeah, it's it, as we talked about, however this whatever this means, it's 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 got different vibes than other professional sports. You yeah. Know? Everyone everyone there was having a good time. And sure that that's aided by the fact that the home team was uh just walloping the Chicago Red Stars. But, um, you know, just, just a really good energy, um, something that, that I don't think really exists uh, anywhere else. Yeah, and, you know, you had mentioned this, but, you know, I can only imagine, even with a smaller crowd there, still a great energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were uh, uh, plagued by a, by a pretty low turnout in comparison to some other games due to the fact that uh, it was a pretty busy Seattle sports day. Cracking playoff game later, Sounders game. And a Mariners game all within a couple hours of the game that we went to. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, speaking you of know, the Kraken, you know, there's <laughs> there's some major support in Seattle for the Seattle Kraken. How many how many times did we watch uh, the, the Kraken play? 15, maybe. And it was the <laughs> same game that they lost over and over. And I, hey, like I said, Seattle's so stoked to have NHL hockey. They're just... They're going to play it no matter what it is. I, I don't even know. There could have been another game actually played in that over that four-day period. We would have no idea because they just kept playing that one. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. Over, hey. the, over the course of three days, Bo and I were in three different bars at three yeah. different times of the day from 11 a.m. Yeah. To, to, you know, 11 p.m. <laughs> over three days. And we saw the same crack and replay in the first period at these three different places spanning the whole of the city. Um, always, it's, it's like they turned it off when the, as soon as the Kraken stopped winning. It, it was, it was pretty insane. And we, it's just like, it was like Groundhog Day. Yeah. We just kept seeing it over and over and over again. And I kept thinking we were in the same day. But, uh, <laughs> no, we had a, we, we had, we had a good time, uh, in, in Seattle. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, We'll be back up there again soon. Yeah. To do it again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as we speak, the NFL draft is kicking off. There are a few big uh-huh. names, but it seems like uh, this year the quarterback field is a little weaker. Well, there are some guys like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson who are all, you know, phenomenal top tier athletes that, that have a few question marks surrounding them. You also have players like uh, Will Levis who is not a phenomenal athlete and has some question marks surrounding him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Any, any picks you like as they, they trickle in in the background here? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm high on, uh, you know, B. John Robinson, the running back out of Texas. I do th- obviously, you know, he's the top running back in the class, but, um, you know, I, 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 he's obviously you'll know by the time you guys hear this, he's been taken by the Atlanta Falcons who I was scared. We're going to take, you know, somebody else, but um, yeah, no, definitely. I think there's just a lot more hype around this quarterback class. Last year was a super weak quarterback class and going into my story here, 
we'll talk more about, you know, previously weak quarterback classes in the past, but, you know, um, definitely uh, there's a lot of QB hype and even outside of the draft, you know, the Jets officially traded for Aaron Rodgers and uh, Lamar Jackson finally got paid. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of circling back to another episode we had of a Packer quarterback turned Jet. Um, how long do you think it is until Aaron Rodgers is indicted for some kind of welfare fraud scheme <laughs> for, to build a, an ayahuasca retreat or something? Right. Maybe maybe within the next two years. Something really creepy happens to people out there. I don't know. The Jets just have this effect on players. Uh, it's really hard to watch. I saw think- a video recently of Joe Namath just in the crowd somewhere doing an interview on the sidelines and anybody who hands him a mic is just should uh, go to jail i don't know <laughs> do you think it's a, a question of like the jets you know kind of as an organization kind of fundamentally messing up the brains of these players or is it spending a decade in in green bay wisconsin <laughs> yeah maybe yes maybe uh maybe it's that maybe it's the latter for sure i don't know um if anyone here has been to Green Bay, I have. I, I have. Um, I don't think there's really much to say, right? <laughs> and yeah. it's very hard. You know, I think about all these destinations and players like wanting to go places, and I just, you really want to have to, to, to be in the league to want to just be able to stay in Green Bay year yeah. round, man. That's tough. I mean, it's probably pretty cheap to buy a house there. Definitely. Dollar goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. You buy you two whole line and kugels in the greater Green Bay metro area. All the cheese your heart desires. Yeah, you can stop at the Cheese Castle. But, you know, that said, we're about a month into the baseball season. You know, both of our right. teams are, are struggling a little bit. It's been the biggest surprise to you so far in this young season. Um, just, um... I mean, the Cardinals are pretty bad. Okay. Like, let's just call it what it is. I mean, I think everybody, th- I don't know. I think everybody thought that the, the starting pitching was going to be a problem. But, it. I mean, it's the team is just not performing at a high level. Um, I mean, they're just not putting it together. Um, I don't know. Are, are, are the, the, the D-backs in first place? Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> know, that's it, a little shocking to me. You know, um, <laughs> It's, it's an interesting year for for former top prospects, right? I mean, obviously, right. Adley Rutschman is um, just otherworldly, but uh, Corbin Carroll, you know, really coming into his own there there in Arizona. What's going on with Max Muncy? Like, what what's happening there, too? Uh, I, you know, I literally do not know. <laughs> <laughs> I have not given any thought to Max Muncy. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, you know, he's he's got 11 home runs going oh. into today. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, uh, you know, it seems uh, that the offensive environment this year could be the pitch clock. It could be uh, some altered balls as as has happened in previous years. Uh, yeah. that, that offensive environment seems to be... Um, pretty different at least if you're you're a team that's not the chicago white Sox, right right yeah yeah i mean it's gonna be interesting but um you know i'm just 
I'm still, you know, obviously I'm still knee deep in the NBA playoffs. So I'm, yeah. I'm getting caught up on baseball here and there. And um, no, I'm excited. I'll be in full baseball mode here in about two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as you said, we're in the heat of the NBA playoffs right now. That's so right. I thought it would be fitting to talk about a player who was fundamental to one of the greatest dynasties the world has ever seen. Yes. You know, there's lots of debate about the true underrated star of the Bulls' historic run. I thought it'd be fitting, you know, for underrated podcast to weigh in. You know, beyond Jordan, who do you think was the glue that tied together the Chicago Bulls of the early 90s? Steve Kerr. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I I would say, uh, Scottie Pippen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were almost there with Steve Kerr. You know, Steve Kerr is a pretty uh, outspoken uh, coach, say, pretty vocal sure. advocate for for social change. Where do you think he sure. learned that from? His dad, who passed away. No, probably sharpshooter and role role player, Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges, I was my second guess. Yeah, you know, Hodges grew up in Illinois, but he attended college at Long Beach State. Well, he, you know, eventually developed a reputation for his three-point shooting acumen. Hodges climbed the ladder to become Long Beach State's third all-time scorer with, without the aid of the three ball. Wasn't adopted in NCAA basketball yet. But, uh, you know, after that successful college career, Hodges was drafted by the San Diego Clippers 1982. All, all, all good things happen in San Diego. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a true good things. That's a that's a great sports city right there. <laughs> you know, after yeah. after two relatively uneventful seasons in San Diego, Hodges was shifted up to Milwaukee during his second season with the Bucks. He really stepped into his own in terms of three point shooting, leading the league with a. 551 three-point percentage that season, 1986. Hodges was also invited to compete in the first ever All-Star Game three-point competition. Well, he didn't win that first iteration. He knocked down 25 shots in a single round, which is a crazy number. That is. You know, that season also saw him help push the Bucks deep into the playoffs, just falling short of the finals, you know. That lack of playoff success kind of led Hodges to be sent to Phoenix during the 87-88 season before eventually landing in Chicago where he truly made his mark. You know, with the Bulls, Hodges won three consecutive NBA three-point competitions. 1990, 1991, 1992. In 91, he set a record in making 19 consecutive shots. That record still stands today. Crazy. You know, his shooting prowess really helped the Bulls win two NBA championships, 1991 and 92. He was a key member of that squad. Definitely. But but I think you know where this story's really going. You know, despite two NBA championships, three three-point competition wins on the court, Hodges was probably most notorious for his activism. You know, he was incredibly vocal in his advocacy for the rights and treatments of minorities. Believing that being an athlete meant being conscious of the world. Saidi Muhammad Ali, Kurt Flood. 
you know, it said during the 1991 NBA Finals between the Bulls and the Lakers, Hodges approached both Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, asking them both to join him in a boycott of the finals to demonstrate their power as a black man in a league in which at the time there were no black owners and no black coaches, despite the fact that 75% of the players in the league at the time were black. This was right in the wake of the, the Rodney King beating. You know, kind of most notably, Hodges took advantage of the Bulls' trip to the White House in 1991 after their, their second consecutive championship by showing up in a dashiki and handing President George H.W. Bush a handwritten letter questioning why the administration wasn't doing more to help inner-city black people. He also asked the president yeah. to appoint a commission to address these structural issues plaguing black Americans. You know, despite only being 32 at the time and still being a great shooter, useful player, I just got waved by the Bulls after that stun at the White House. And he was not offered a single offer or tryout from an NBA team. Yeah. You know, but that's not really where his professional basketball career ends. He played overseas, but uh, he wasn't done with the NBA. Despite being blackballed out of the league, the NBA still acknowledged that Hodges was the greatest in three-point shooter of the time, skilled and talented player, invited him to uh-huh. compete in the 1993 three-point competition when he wasn't on a team. <laughs> yeah. He, he wore a generic jersey that just said NBA and competed in the 1993 <laughs> oh all-star three-point contest. You know, he couldn't land a bench roll in the NBA couldn't get a spot on a roster but the league still wanted to trot him out there and show off his shooting ability you know despite not having a club to return to um or to practice with you know he still finished as a semi-finalist in a season that he hadn't played at all pretty remarkable stuff so maybe it's a bit hyperbolic to say that Hodges was the underrated cog in the Bulls success but he definitely is the forgotten one. You know, Hodges was a solid role player. He was ahead of his times in terms of his activism in basketball and in terms of his shooting ability. You know, if he had played a decade later, you know, he probably would have blossomed into a shooter with, you know, higher volume in, in a different, more modern game. And mm-hmm. maybe his career would have stretched another five, six, seven seasons as his vocal advocacy would have been more at home in the current league. So, Bo, do you think Craig Hodges is underrated? Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's funny. If anyone's seen the, you know, now famous um, series, The Last Dance, you know, about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, specifically, there's no mention of Craig Hodges whatsoever. I mean, he's invisible in this situation, right? Um, but, you know, there is the stories about, well, it's a little different with the Steve Kerrs, but the Tony Ku coaches and <clears throat> Horace Grants and everybody. I mean, at one point, um, you know, Horace Grant was the, the person who was thought to, to leak, you know, inside the locker room information to, you know, a local journalist there in Chicago who wrote a book about it and basically was, you know... Um, his former teammates had turned their backs on him and still he was he was mentioned and talked about but there's 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 no mention um obviously his three-point skill speaks for himself but 
you know, I can't help but compare the situation to, you know, what we saw with Colin Kaepernick just a few years back. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, it's very clear that he was, you know, blacklisted and pushed out of the NBA for, you know, social and political reasons. And, um, you know, it it's interesting now to to look at it and to even think that here just a few years ago, even it, if this was going on at this time, would this be accepted? It's really, really hard to say, right? Yeah. But it's uh, it's it's unfortunate, uh, especially because of the impact he had, um, you know, with those Bulls teams and the role that he played, and uh, you know, to kind of see his, well, I don't want to say his his legacy just kind of washed away as far as you know professional basketball. It's, it's sort of sad, you know. I mean, I got to be honest. This is the third, the first time in a very, very long time I've even thought about this name. Um, it's uh, unfortunate, really. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's it's interesting. To, to think about the fact that that such a prolific athlete, somebody who was a part of such a such a great um, you know dynasty there in Chicago, was was pushed out of the league. You know, people people said that uh, that you know he he would approach any player in the league and urge them to uh, to be as vocal as he was, and and it often you know fell on deaf deaf sorry deaf ears. Um, you know, sure. he, he, he was somebody that, uh, you know, was highly influential in the league. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about the fact that, you know, players wouldn't come and talk to him because they knew that if they did, he was just going to basically preach at them. And, right. uh, and, uh, he, he was highly critical of a lot of other athletes. You know, he said that, you know, black professional athletes, you know, didn't work hard enough. They didn't use their, their wealth and their influence and their platform to, to advocate for the poor and the disenfranchised. Sure. You know, Michael, Michael Jordan is, you know, said specifically himself during an interview, you know, there was a uh, black politician uh, running for office in North Carolina and he was asked to support and he was, um, you know, he did not want to go that route. He just didn't feel like he wanted to get into politics and felt that it wasn't right for him. But for the rest of the world, I mean, there was a lot of disappointment because of, you know, how much um, status, you know, he carried with him and the ability to, you know, have an impact by speaking on it. You know, another former NBA player, uh, Chris Jackson, who converted to Islam, now Mahmoud Abdul Rauf um, used to play for the Denver Nuggets, and you know he, during the mid '90s, was also protesting national anthems. Uh, he refused to stand for the Star Spangled Banner, um, and you know he he was very vocal about what he thought rep, you know uh, the national anthem and the Star Spangled Banner what they represented, and that was you know oppression. And he went down the same path, you know, he was pushed out after being one of the most young, promising, you know, point guards in the league at that time. Yeah, yeah. Went down the same exact path. I mean, it's, it's very, very clear what the state and mindset of the NBA was at that time. And I don't think there's any question about it. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a very unfortunate situation to see, um, to, to only think about, um, what sort of careers, that these players would have, but for the bulls to come out, you know, and I know you, you have a, a, a very, very loyal uh, relationship to the owner of the Chicago bulls. Uh, <laughs> but 
I, I have to say for them to come out and say that he was released because he was on his last leg uh, was just, you know, insult to injury, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you think about, um, you know, Phil Jackson's remarks afterwards, somebody who's who's notoriously uh, right. very supportive of social causes, saying that uh, he found it strange that not a single team reached out to him about Hodges. Uh, right. You know, that... I think that kind of says everything that needs to be said about, about the reasons he uh, is out of the league. You know, Phil, Phil Jackson just did an interview not too long ago, uh, I want to say a couple weeks ago, maybe even a week ago, that he hasn't watched NBA basketball in two years because it's too woke. Yeah, yeah. He's been on that. Yeah, he, uh, for, for someone who doesn't watch basketball because it's it's too political, he's been saying that in interviews for years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So I don't know, like, you know, that's Phil's going to have his, a uh, say in whatever, and it's probably, you know, horseshit, but <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. So, but no agreed. I think that, uh, not only is, it, uh, is Craig Hodges, um, you know, short lived career, um, you know, underrated, but actually, you know, kind of, the trajectory he was on and also you know if you want to call it activism obviously you can but i think that's uh not spoken much about and i just you never hear craig hodges name anymore for any reason um statistically or in regards to the bulls dynasty or whatever the case is and it's it's a shame and i do think that that in itself is underrated yeah yeah agreed uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we are back. Oh, so anybody you'd like to talk about today? Yeah. So, as we spoke about, the NFL draft is in motion. You know, obviously surrounding this year's draft, as you just said, all QB conversation. So it's a big night for guys like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and... You know, Will Levis eventually. Uh, big night for Anthony Richardson, so forth. You know, my prediction, and I haven't looked at it, is that, you know, all four would be taken in the top 10, but that may not be the case. We'll find out here later. You know, my other prediction is that two of those teams are going to be very sorry, and they're going to realize that very soon. But, <laughs> you know, my point being is that the hype behind QBs can be pretty extreme at times due to the quality of current quarterbacks you know performing at a high level in the league right now you know last year was as i mentioned earlier a particularly weak year and a perfect example of that is kenny pickett going 20th overall and and the second qb taken in the third round being desmond ritter which no offense to anyone in my current city of cincinnati but that's that's a stretch let's just be real here for <laughs> You know, it's it's hard not to get caught up in all the hype and and overshoot the actual talent levels. Now, I did a story on a previous episode on one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time, University of Houston's Case Keenum. Right? Yeah, yeah. Put up insane college statistics, but played in the Conference USA. So I want to talk about another quarterback who had an outstanding college career as a QB, also a Conference USA QB. But most importantly, isn't often included in conversations about statistically outstanding quarterback careers. So we're going to talk a little bit about Marshall University's Rakeem Cato. 
Yeah, that's a it's a deep cut. Honestly, I forgot that. Cut, right? I for, I forgot Marshall was in Conference USA. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, Rakeem Cato grew up in Miami's Liberty City neighborhood, which is a haven for the NFL if you know the history there. Um, guys like Elvis Dumerville and Teddy Bridgewater, and you know, a multitude of players have come out of there. Just highly talented athletes, especially on the college level. But you know, he was one of seven children raised by a single mother. His father was in prison his entire life until Cato was actually in college. That was the first time he ever met his father while he was at Marshall University. So, you know, naturally there's going to be some adversity there to overcome. You know, he had an illustrious high school career, still to this day, holds several Miami-Dade County passing records. But, you know, we're going to focus on the time at Marshall. So Cato played college football at Marshall University from 2011 through 2014. You know, as a freshman in 2011, um, you know, he had a decent season, you know, 2,000 uh, plus yards, 15 TDs, 11 interceptions, but really it was a sophomore season in 2012 where he led the nation in passing yards per game. You know, he completed 400 of, 406 of 584 passes for 4,200 yards, 37 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And he won the Conference USA MVP in 2012 as a sophomore. Wow. You know, he did play in all 52 games in his collegiate career that he was able to play in. You know, his 2013 season, you know, was was huge. A, a lot of hype going into that year was, you know, on the players to watch uh, list and, you know, was already in running for the Sammy Bow Award, you know, he was also on the Maxwell Award watch list, along with the Manning Award. You know, he ended that season with 39 touchdown passes. At that time, that was, you know, Chad Pennington's uh, Marshall record for touchdown passes in a single season. Uh, again, you know, he was named MVP in the 2013 Military Bowl victory over Maryland. You know, his senior season, of course, he returns. And, you know, he... Um, he broke Russell Wilson's FBS record for most consecutive games with at least one touchdown pass. Um, that was 39 consecutive games with a touchdown pass. Wow. Yeah, you know, he finished he finished the season with over 3,900 yards, 40 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. Now, overall, he finished his career with a school record, 14,079 passing yards and 131 passing touchdowns. As we sit here today, he's number 10 all time in passing yards. So he was 35 and 16 as a college QB for a, and no disrespect, historically not great program at Marshall. And in 2014, his senior season, they were ranked as high as number 18 in the nation. You know, that's no easy feat for a Conference USA team, right? Exactly. After his college career, of course, you know, he had stints with several professional football teams, the, you know, the Canadian Football League, the Montreal Alouettes, uh, the, the Berlin Rebels of the German Football League. And now he's playing for the Fayetteville Mustangs in the National Arena League, which I didn't even know that was a thing. But uh, hey, hey. <laughs> still chugging along. You know, he's never really been able to get his pro career to come together. But let's just recap some of these collegiate accomplishments set the NCAA record for consecutive games with a touchdown pass in a single season with 46 in 2013. Okay. 
He still holds numerous Marshall University and Conference USA records, including career passing yards, as we mentioned, career touchdown passes at Marshall, and single-season passing yards, 4,200 in 2013. He was named the Conference USA MVP not once but twice in 2012 and 2014. He led Marshall to a Conference USA championship in 2014, and he was named the MVP of the 2014 Boca Raton Bowl after they beat uh, Northern Illinois. Now, if you know anything about those teams, let's just be honest, they were trash, okay? (laughs) These teams (laughs) were absolute garbage. There was a lot of him doing what he did best. Um, At that time, he was a true dual-threat quarterback. So we've, we've talked about Case Keenum. We've talked about guys like Kellen Moore, Timmy Chang. So we're discussing QBs who put up monumental numbers, but also played in the Mountain West Conference, the WAC Conference, or Conference USA play. You know, Rakeem Cato played four years at Marshall, but very seldom is his name mentioned in even conversations with those players. And, you know, it's surely not going to be mentioned when talking about guys like Baker Mayfield or Colt McCoy and so forth. You know, so with all this said, do we think Rakeem Cato's career deserves more love or by NCAA standards? Is, is he right where he should be? What do you what do you think? You know, I think he's he's definitely underrated. You know, definitely on on the list of, of the greatest, you know, collegiate quarterbacks of all time. It's arguable that nobody nobody tops Cato. You know, he was a phenomenal passer. He was somebody that put up prolific passing numbers, but but as you said, also a dual threat quarterback. Somebody that right. that rushed for you know five hundred yards in his senior season. If if in another era where that was that was that was less prolific of a of a skill set that a quarterback should have, imagine imagine if you know those hundred rushes or whatnot uh, were another hundred passes. How much higher his yardage and touchdowns would have been? You know, who who knows what That's kind right. of numbers he, he could have put up. Um, but yeah, definitely an underrated player. Definitely underrated in the in the scope of of collegiate quarterbacks, and one that, as you mentioned, is still playing professionally. You know, a decade out, a decade after graduation, didn't get drafted, um, didn't even get signed to an NFL squad. But uh, sure. you know, somebody who who's still making a career out of a, a game they're they're very very good at. Definitely, definitely. If, if we're talking about 2014 and we're talking about that draft i also want to point out you know obviously we're talking about a quarterback you know who was you know six foot tall maybe 190 pounds right um but also let's talk about the top quarterbacks in the league at that time aaron Rodgers, tony romo ben roethlisberger andrew luck tom brady peyton manning Right. These are all uh, Russell Wilson had just, you know, come onto the scene here for, you know, a fairly new, but he was the only quarterback that sort of fit that mold. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, Again, that class, that draft class was a a terribly weak quarterback class. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad that 2015 class. Um, But um, I don't think even the NFL at that time, would have had an idea what to do with a quarterback like well, that or could have worked and built off that. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because while it, while his, you know, size was a little different than than others. I mean, like who was drafted top 10 in that in uh in that draft, right? You've got you've got players like Marcus Mariota who, true. You know, also 
pretty pretty similar. Um, and and you had uh, Dak Prescott, another person, who, another quarterback who, you know, what's the difference between Dak Prescott and and uh, Cato? Two inches. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah, it, it would I mean, it would be um, interesting to see what uh, what Cato could have done. Um, you know, given you know top tier NFL coaching. Yeah. And you know, I say this and I, you know, not biased because we're talking about a former build, but you know, the style of play, if you go back and watch video, there's a lot of similarities in what Doug Flutie had done. Uh, that was similar to what, you know, Cato was doing as well. I mean, he, just the movement, the arm strength and, you know, the ability to, to read, you know, I also want to add too, you know, Obviously, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are the top names when we're talking about on draft day. But the third quarterback taken is a guy named Garrett Grayson. Who? By the New Orleans <laughs> Saints. And if you know that name, number one, you're probably a liar. But two, you could be a Saints fan. Or three, you went to Colorado State, which nobody does. So, I mean, there, those, are, those are the three options there. But, I mean, that's how weak that quarterback class was i mean you know um like you said i mean you talked about you know um marcus Mariota, who's who knows if he has a job next season or this upcoming season or whatnot but i mean a very very weak class uh for that year and uh, yeah i was a, i was a year off on on dak <laughs> but but yeah, the comparison yeah. still uh still holds sure. true I mean, you know, we talk about size, but I mean, we mentioned Russell Wilson. Okay. We can talk about Drew Brees. We talk about guys like that. I mean, uh, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, we're talking maybe 10 pounds an inch or so here or there, yeah, yeah. who is a successful, you know, a backup quarterback. Um, I mean, you're, you're spot on though with that. So yeah, it's a, you know, again, you know, I understand, um, you know, especially with these, uh, you know, uh, Conference USA, WAC Conference, Mountain West guys that uh, people want to turn their heads as far as the competition levels go, and I can understand that. But um, you know, statistically, it still stands, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what? I mean, there there are obviously tons of what ifs in sports. We talk about them every week, but sure. uh, you know, what if what if Cato uh, got coached by NFL coaching? What if he had, you know? gone to a power five school and uh you know received the 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 coaching that exists there you know lots lots of things could have uh could have made him into a, a maybe not an nfl star but uh an nfl starter yeah so, somebody well, that was drafted I, I will say this his first season in the canadian football league that alouettes team did win the gray cup which is the super bowl of the cfl so i mean he's yeah. a champion yeah that's true that is true um, yeah, so I think we agree. Another another underrated player, for um, sure. I mean, that said, while we're talking uh, quarterbacks that uh, kind of fall on draft day, you, you think uh, you think Will Levis is going to pull a Brady Quinn? <sighs> you know what? Um, I don't know who's coming up, but I okay. So here was my initial thought. It seemed like it was a Mike Vrabel pick, so I thought he was going to end up with the Titans. That didn't happen. But I thought that was a perfect, like, Titans-like move. Earlier on, I was like, mm, this is something crazy Josh McDaniels would do. And, like, this is something the Raiders <laughs> might, you know, do, even with Garoppolo. But uh, 
I don't know. You know, it's it's coming up. It's like I, I wouldn't be shocked if the you know what, what are they the Washington football team? What are they called? The what, are they the Commanders now? Yeah, Command- Commandos. The Commandos. Uh, if you know they could take them, I, I could see Bill Belichick throwing another quarterback like he has already in that mix. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to to see that. Um, further on down the line, I I. I really don't see anybody else, you know, taking a taking a swing at him here in the first round for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, kind of kind of pivoting to some other some other news. We we talked about the Commandos and yes. a recurring supervillain of the show in real life, <laughs> Dan Schneider, um, yeah. is uh, is selling the team. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's, he's selling the team, um, not to Jay-Z, not to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Who, yeah. who is he selling the team to? I don't who's, know. Who's, who's so, come up and actually, who wants this? I, I who, don't. Who, who wants to inherit FedEx Field? Um, That's hard to say. Um, I don't think FedEx wants their name on it. <laughs> FedEx doesn't even want their name on the thing. Yeah, so, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's it, it, that I'm just I'm glad this saga is going to start coming to an end. We need to move forward from that. But yeah. uh, who knows? I'm curious to see. I feel like he's going to dip his toe in some other pro sports. That's that's the kind of that's kind of thing that this guy would do. Yeah, yeah, potentially. You know, it's interesting, right? Because we have the the Commandos um, being <laughs> sold, but we also have another team um, equally mismanaged equally exploited uh being rewarded for their their uh how do you say bullshit austerity their mm. their arbitrary um penny pinching the uh the oakland athletics are going to move to las vegas after uh more than a decade of ownership refusing to spend money uh, right refusing to renovate a stadium refusing to to play ball uh, no pun intended, with yeah. any proposals to, to to elevate that stadium in Oakland, uh, they're moving to Las Vegas. Does this does this move surprise you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it doesn't surprise me. I I think the athletics are, man. You talk about just overall tanking, like not yeah. even not even you know going out there on a performance level and tanking but just doing everything in their power to sabotage everything else um yeah i mean it doesn't surprise me and honestly i think it's very fitting that they end up in vegas yeah you you know you know we talked about this recently um do you think that there is room in las vegas for more pro sports i mean we we saw high attendance for the golden knights the worst named sports team in uh in, in the NHL, um, in the world, <laughs> just awfully named team. Um, you know, we see the Raiders move there. How long is it before these fan bases cannibalize each other? Right, it is so expensive now to buy season tickets to professional sports. It's so yeah. expensive to to just you know spend a Friday night at a game. Right, you know, right. You're gonna spend fifty dollars on a hot dog and a drink. Right. Is there a large enough population in Las Vegas to support another bro team? Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I 
I feel like it's a it's a terrible situation. I I mean, take a look at a city like Tampa. All right, Tampa is a, a perfect example. It's been going on for many years. You have a a huge population of people that aren't from there, right? You've got terrible facilities. Um, nobody has any you know connection. Yeah. Uh, even when the team's winning, like, look, I haven't I haven't watched a bunch of Rays games, but they've been performing at a high level for years, and they still can't get people in that freaking you know tuna can that they play in. My point being is that they're struggling and that, I mean, it's a little different when Tom Brady, who is the age of the rest of the seniors that live in Tampa. So there's a connection, you know, with the, yeah, the Vietnam yeah. war and all that stuff uh, to get them out to the stadium. That's a huge draw uh, for a city like Vegas. I don't think there's enough of a population to support too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, major franchises. I think that it's going to be a tough situation for sure. But, you know, it, historically, you look at teams from the Bay Area and, well, California in general, the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders could move in 10 years. Who, kn who knows with this franchise, right? I mean, it's just yeah. been going on for years. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Uh, there are several things here, right? One, most questionably, is how can the athletics ownership be rewarded for what they're doing? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and like, yeah. is there a way back? Is there a way for Rob Manfred to like actually move back into the good graces of the world? I mean, is baseball dead? <laughs> oh, all these existential questions because of the, the, the freaking athletics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't know here. And it's, and it's, it's, um, in my opinion, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? Because where does that team end up if if they don't go to Vegas? They you would like to see them go someplace like we talked about Portland, Oregon. Well, I mean, you'd you'd like you to know? see them go to a new stadium in Oakland where they have fans and people that exactly, want to love right? them. Instead and, and of obviously, that's that's not the outcome. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, it's that or. A team ends up in Salt Lake City, right? Which is just the, the cesspool of the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, no, no offense to anyone out there, but my God, like you know, if you're there, no, I mean, ag yeah, I mean, offense to them, to be honest. <laughs> there's no, look, there's not room for another stadium with the church already being there. Okay, Let's yeah, I mean, I, 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 have enough room. I mean, I guess they could build it on what used to be a lake. That's that's true. I mean, so I mean, which also ties into the other question, um, kind of a two part here, right? Is there even enough water in Las Vegas to to water the grass <laughs> at a baseball stadium? There's, there's, listen, there's there's not. I mean, and, like th this is this is a larger question, right? I mean, the we had some historic rainfall this winter. There's some big snowpacks or whatever bullshit, but like the Colorado yeah. River is dry. There's no water in Las Vegas, and we keep sending people there. That's, like, that, that's very true. Hey, you've got a, you've got a good point. Okay, I don't think this came up in, uh, in in the conversation. So second, second, you know, baseball is an outdoor sport. They might put a roof on that stadium, but it's going to be open for for a couple months a year. And they are also anticipating that the athletics in Las Vegas are a team that will be supported by tourists. Nobody in in the world has ever gone to Las Vegas in hopes of being outdoors. 
Yeah, exactly. And it, that just nobody to wants me, to see the sun in Las Vegas. That's that's just not a sustainable business plan. But again, like I don't have a billion dollars. I'm just saying that that doesn't seem like a very sustainable plan. I mean, there. Well, I mean, I mean, there is there is nothing about it that they want to be sustainable. You know, right. that ownership group doesn't care about the sustainability. They're going to get sure. their money and they're going to leave. Whether it be this earth because they die and they're old or right. or they sell the team. Like, <laughs> they're right. going to get their billions and, and they're going to laugh all the way to the fucking bank. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, they've and they can, they can jo- they, Yeah, and they can join Jerry Reinsdorf in hell. <laughs> they've been holding this over the heads of you know um the city of oakland for a long time you know so the city of oakland obviously i mean golden state just whatever last season or the season before just moved over across the bay to san francisco i mean there's just no sports over there anymore yeah after having yeah. this rich history like w- wasn't it cool to have that bay area rivalry i mean i thought that was you know something fun right yeah and well i mean i mean facilities the, like the, the oakland so athletics are are the the walgreens of baseball like yeah you know how we've we've seen these stories for the last year or two about like walgreens or cvs or whoever whatever company they're they're closing stores due to rampant theft they're, they're closing right. downtown locations due to the fact that somebody look like they might have been homeless and then they come back like two weeks after the stores close and say well, actually uh we're just Not we're bad. just cutting we're just cutting costs we're, we're, just, we're, we're just trying to look out <laughs> yeah it actually has nothing to do what we told the media reported it right. it's the old athletics right they, they have <laughs> yeah. self-imposed bullshit for decades and are now are, are are now getting rewarded for it and nobody's asking questions no how, did, no. how does this and, happen? Like, like you said, that starts with Rob Manfred, right? Yeah. I mean, we've between Manfred and seeing that freak show, Roger Goodell, especially during these drafts. Right. Oh, my God. Right. Man, Manfred and Goodell are the, the Ronald Reagan and uh, and uh, Margaret Thatcher of American <laughs> professional sports. Yeah. Good you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little too worked up for a Thursday night. Up. <laughs> we gotta get fired up the fucking athletics. They just, yeah, they just do it to you. Yeah, love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, you know, you know, we we keep talking. We talk about this for another three minutes. You know who's gonna come up? Who's that? Tony Larusa. Oh, jeez. <laughs> What's he up to now? That poor guy. No, he's probably in state-sponsored rehab. Yeah. <laughs> He's at an animal shelter. Yeah, just with dogs. Yeah, that's <laughs> Can't the, be trusted. The only reason he runs a no no kill shelter is because somebody would have put him down. If he <laughs> exactly. Did. He's got to protect himself. Oh man, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up for today. We'll off hey, the rails there. On uh, that note, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us again. We'll be back next week with another fun episode. Uh, that's it. Until next time, next week.